Welcome to the John Gets Games podcast, where in today's episode, you'll be hearing the audio from a games radar vlog that was recorded in July of 2021. In that, I discuss 25 new games and expansions that I've learned about over the last month or two, and I do go through them in alphabetical order. Now, before I move on, I would like to mention that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support that comes in through the Patreon campaign for the channel. If you enjoy listening to my vlogs in podcast form like this, then I do hope you would consider directly supporting the campaign, and you can learn more about that by going to patreon.com slash Games. The final thing I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave those as a comment on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. All right, let's now start talking about these games, and the first of these is going to be 18 Zoo. Now, I am going through them in alphabetical order, and I will be showing you the Board Game Geek page for each of these as we go. Now, the reason this one jumped out to me is because, well, it is an 18xx style game, but of course, it's in a zoo, so that's a pretty big difference from most 18xx games, which are on some landmass. And also in this game, it appears you are just building out the zoo. There's going to be, I guess, supply lines. You're going to be adding uh, different tiles down as you are creating routes. And the big reason this jumped out to me, beyond the fact that the uh, theming is uh, pretty adorable, is the fact that this is supposed to be a a quicker 18xx game. I've played three 18xx games at this point, and all of them have been fun, but all of them were also longer than I realistically wanted them to be, and this game is supposedly a 90 to 120 minute game, and um, I would be very happy to play a two-hour 18xx game um, more often anyway than the uh, three to four to five-hour 18xx games that I've uh, played in the past. So that is the main reason this has grabbed me. It says um, it is uh, the quickest, meanest knife fight uh, for veteran and 18xx style players, but it's also built to welcome the 18xx game uh, with many conventions and rules and whatnot that are in many 18xx games. I've said xx quite a lot <laughs> in the last minute or two. Uh, now, I don't believe this game is actually going to be formally published at this point. Um, apparently, it has been implemented on um, 18xx.games, which is a website where lots of people play these types of games. Beyond that, I'm not sure if it's actually going to be published or if it'll go out for print and play. I just thought it was adorable and I wanted to draw some attention to it. All right, the next game is Caesar's Empire. Now, this uh, apparently re-implements Roads to Rome, uh, but when I looked at that page, I think maybe that one only was published in uh, Polish. Um, now, in this game, much like the previous one, this is a network-building-style game where you are going to be essentially trying to connect a bunch of different cities back to Rome. It seems like it's not the most complicated game in general. Uh, after reading through the description, it seems that largely what you're doing is actually adding your tokens out, connecting various things to Rome, and every time you connect a new city, you gain one of these tokens. And then I think once all of the cities have been connected, at that point, the game ends. And then you get points for having connected back to Rome, uh, as well as getting points for these treasure tokens. Um, now, the uh, Board Game Geek says this is a 30 to 60 minute game for two to five players. So again, it doesn't seem like it's a super complicated game. It seems like it's realistically about trying to build out this network as best you can, uh, obviously while competing with your opponents. And I've been a pretty big sucker for network building games for a while now. Um, not just with the train games I've been falling in love with this year, but also previous to that, um, games like Brass, uh, where you are doing some network building out there on the board in a much more complicated uh, and Euro setting than I think um, Caesar's Empire is. But uh, this game looks interesting. This definitely looks like the kind of game I would love to give a try if I had the opportunity at some point. Next up, we have Crusaders Divine Influence, and this is the first expansion I'll be talking about today. I'm not 
actually sure if I'm talking about any other expansions. I think I am, but either way, this is an expansion to Crusaders, and I think it's the only expansion for it. Uh, now, it's listed as a 2021 release, and there's um, a whole bunch of photos uh, of what it looks like. Um, down below in the description, it says you can uh, claim influence over regions with a new and improved influence action and take advantage of four new building types and explore four new knight orders in this expansion. Now, I love Crusaders. I think it's a really solid game. So um, that is definitely making me more interested in this expansion. I oftentimes shy away from expansions, but uh, adding more knight orders to just shuffle in seems great, uh, and adding more buildings also seems pretty cool. Uh, the original game had four different types of buildings, and it looks like you just add a board onto the side with four new building types. And the influence action, not to go into the nitty-gritty of how this game works, but the influence action just gave you points in the um, base game. And so it says this has a new and improved influence action. I'm not sure what it does, but it seems like it's probably going to do more than just give you points. And in this Monk style game, these tokens would pile up on various spots until you use them. And it seems like usually you did an influence action, but you didn't have any other good ideas and you had a bunch of tokens on there. So I'm pretty interested to see how this modifies the base game. Uh, again, I really like Crusaders and I feel like adding these things in is probably not going to bloat the game in a way that a lot of expansions um, can, which is why I oftentimes am not actually that interested in expansions. Now, uh, looking down at the forum threads, um, I believe this game has actually been printed, but it hasn't been shipped uh, out from the factory just yet. Uh, don't quote me on that. There's a very long thread with a lot of information. So it seems like this uh, expansion um, has is hypothetically exists, but players don't actually have access to it yet. And once that happens, um, I think I'm going to try to get a copy of it because I still have my copy of Crusaders. I still really like the game. And I think adding this expansion in could definitely um, kindle some even more positive feelings about it because uh, I think there is definitely space for this extra stuff that exists. All right, <laughs> next up we have Dune Imperium Rise of Ix, which is another expansion. I, I thought there was at least one other expansion on the list. I just didn't realize they were going to be right next to each other in alphabetical order. Now, this is an expansion to Dune Imperium, which is a game that I played two or three times, and I've really enjoyed it. I've only played it on Tabletop Simulator. I don't have access to a real-life copy of it at this point, but um, I enjoyed playing the game as it was, and this expansion adds in a few new things which seem like they would slot in quite well. Now, one thing in particular that I found when looking at the forum threads down below is apparently this comes in with a new board. Uh, I believe you actually replace the previous board that came with the game, and there is a supplementary board and then several new different features uh, with a new planet and whatnot. And that new board has me interested because I know a big issue a lot of people had with the base game, and myself included, was that the main market for cards could kind of stall out. So that has me wondering if maybe they're going to modify that a little bit to have things cycle or put some incentives or some extra costs or something. I don't know. I'm just uh, gossiping and spitballing at this point. That might not be the case at all, but I'm definitely intrigued by the replacing of the main board plus adding a sideboard in as well. Um, I really enjoyed Dune Imperium, like I said, and I would not mind playing this one more in the future. And the idea of maybe some tweaks to the base game and then adding some extra stuff in uh, definitely intrigues me. I would definitely like to try this expansion out. All right, next up we have Fire and Stone, and the first reason this game jumped out to me is the designer. Uh, Klaus Jurgen uh, Reed, uh, 
I'm not sure if that's how that's pronounced. Probably not. I'm sorry. But um, they are most well-known for having designed Carcassonne, which is a game I adore. Uh, I think Carcassonne is amazing. And um, in this game, there's some other interesting stuff going on beyond the fact that the designer um, is, you know, the designer of one of the most famous board games out there. Uh, now, down below in the description, it says, in Fire and Stone, players lead their tribe through the Stone Age. They scout new lands, harvest nuts and mushrooms, and finally build villages. The aim of the game is to uh, have the most successful tribe by exploring new lands, building huts, and gathering resources. And with the invention of new tools and techniques like shipbuilding and pottery, the expansion of your tribe can be accelerated. Uh, now, down below, it says this is a worker placement style game. And they do have an image of what the main board looks like. And it absolutely pulls me in. You've got a map of the world that looks kind of similar to the actual world. I mean, definitely some uh, artistic reinterpretations here, and this is supposed to happen a long time ago. I'm not sure how far back when different land masses looked slightly different, but either way, it looks like you're going to be expanding out um, into the different continents, taking different tokens, and um, players have little boards with little tracks and lots of little tokens going on. It just looks like it has stuff that I like in Euro-style games, and honestly, with my love for Carcassonne, I think I was going to want to play this game pretty much regardless of whatever the specifics were. <laughs> if it was a social deduction game or something like that, then maybe I wouldn't go for it. But um, this just looks interesting. It says it's a 45 to 60 minute game, so it doesn't look like it's going to be super long or super complex, uh, but you can definitely play a game of Carcassonne in 45 to 60 minutes, depending on the people you're playing with and the number of people that you're playing with. Uh, so yeah, I'm super intrigued by this. I'm looking forward to uh, learning more. It doesn't look like there are any videos. Oh, apparently the rules are available. I did not notice that when I was doing my research. So I think I'm going to make a note to read those rules later on. I should have done that before I recorded this, but oh well. <laughs> Either way, I hope you're as intrigued by this as I am. Um, and if you are, then feel free to read the rules yourself. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next game, which is Free Ride. Uh, now, this one is uh, was designed by Friedman Fries, who has designed many interesting games in the past. Um, in general, his games aren't my favorites, but I'm often intrigued by the stuff that goes on in Friedman Fries' designs. Now, um, I have a newfound love of train games, so that means uh, this one also jumped out to me because this has got a big train on the front cover. And um, realistically, um, the big thing that grabbed me about this game and why I'm super interested in it is this free ride mechanism, which is actually, you know, the name of the game. Uh, now, in this game, players are going to be essentially moving their one train around the map. And um, when you do that, you're going to ride the rails, uh, which are these tracks that are placed out here. And when you go over a set of tracks, that are yours, you don't pay anything. When you go over a set of tracks that are the nationalized, which means nobody owns it, then you don't pay anything. But if you go over tracks that somebody else owns, you pay that player one coin, and then they remove their um, uh, token, which said they owned it, and now that track isn't owned by anyone and it's nationalized. So what that means is by traveling over other people's tracks, you have to pay a money, and apparently money is really tight in this game, and then anyone else can ride that track for free because you've just nationalized it. And that sounds absolutely fascinating to me. Um, there's a few other things going on here, but realistically that free ride idea of the first person to use somebody else's track having to pay for it and then um, that paving the way for everybody else to use it for free sounds really interesting. And honestly, 
I'm going to be playing this game tonight. <laughs> I don't actually have a copy of it, but um, there is a Tabletopia version of it out, and there is a Tabletop Simulator uh, mod for it out there. And I have scheduled to play a four-player game of this with three of my friends tonight uh, using the Tabletop Simulator mod. I just read through the rules right before I started recording this because, well, I'm going to be playing it tonight, and I'm going to be teaching it. And after reading the rules, I got even more excited. Um, it says it's a 50 to 90-minute game that players plays one to five players. And again, we're going to try it at four. And hopefully I like it. <laughs> hopefully it goes well. I definitely think um, that main idea seems really fascinating. And I also like actually using the routes that you put down onto maps. I've played lots of train games recently where you are building out networks and, uh, but you know, once you put them on the board, you generally don't do anything with them. Like maybe that increases stock prices or maybe, you know, in Ticket to Ride or something like that, you can claim your different routes and you get points. But in this game, you are laying down these routes in order to actually ride them using your uh, train car. And you might go over the same route multiple times in the same game. And that just sounds cool. I like network building and actually using the network. I think I've talked about this one too much. I'm quite excited about free ride. All right, next up we have uh, <laughs> a game that I believe is called Twist and Tracks, or uh, The Train That Travels Far. Um, the name of this one is in Polish, and I have no idea really, realistically, how to pronounce it. But um, the reason this game jumped out to me is because the designer is Jeffrey Allers. Now, this game was published four years ago in 2017, and I'm pretty sure I actually learned about this one because I followed Jeffrey Allers uh, on Twitter, and I think they posted about it at some point recently. Um, I can't be positive about it, but um, it's definitely not a new game, so it did not pop up on the new games uh, list. Now, this game is a train-style game where you are going to each be moving around your own little trains uh, on tracks. At the start of the game, you have your four trains in the bottom left corner, and then on each turn, uh, every player is going to simultaneously draw a random tile from the top of their own stack. And I believe everyone has the same stack of tiles, but you're going to take them in a different order. And then you put that tile down, and then if any of your trains can use the track that you just put down, the trains will move, and the more cracks or edges the trains go through with that movement, the more victory points you get. Also, you're trying to get the trains to these various stations around the outside of the board, and the sooner you do that, the more victory points you are going to get. And I have to say that I was so excited about this game that I went out to see, A, is there an English printing? And no, there isn't. Uh, B, is there news about an English printing? No, there isn't. And C, could I get a copy of the Polish version of the game? And I found one on Amazon. So I actually purchased a copy of this about 30 minutes ago. Uh, I know the last time I did one of these games radar vlogs, I did the same exact thing for Fairy Tale Inn, where I just got so interested looking into it that I ended up buying a copy. And well, it looks like um, Twistin' Tracks or the train uh, that travels far, whatever name you want to go with, um, is the one for this game's radar vlog that forced me, or I guess pushed me, towards actually buying it. Um, this just sounds so cool. I love network building, as I've already talked about. I love simultaneous action. And in particular, I really like pipe-style building games. I, I played a lot of those uh, video games when I was a kid, um, and I really like it when making intricate long paths is incentivized. Uh, that's why Pass Tally is a game that I really like. It's a game, a competitive game about making crazy different loops around a uh, metro track. And in this one, the more times you move your train around, the more cracks it goes over, the more victory points you get. So you are incentivized to send your trains on really wild adventures. Uh, now, these can often... Uh, bring in analysis paralysis. So the fact that this plays simultaneously was a really big uh, attractor for me for the game. Also, I think the art is great. And like I said, when all these things came together, I just went out and bought a copy. So 
Hopefully that'll arrive in a week or two. <laughs> I'm absolutely looking forward to trying it. Uh, this says it's a 20 to 45 minute game, so it's not crazy long, but I also think I've essentially taught you all the rules to the game. Uh, interestingly enough, there are a couple of videos and one uh, is uh, filmed by the designer three years ago. And in that video, they showed an alternate main scoring board for the stations, uh, which is apparently a little more cutthroat, a little more mean, and um, they have a print and play version of it down below. So I think I'm probably going to be doing that, giving that a try um, for when I play this game. As you can tell, this is another one I am very excited about, and I am actively looking forward to getting this one played. I think the moment it hits our doorstep, I'm going to be taking it to the next gaming get-together because, uh, yeah, this just seems like a lot of fun. All right, next up we have Karmagan, and this one is on the list strictly because of the board. I mean, honestly, a lot of uh, parts to it don't really jump out to me. Uh, in this game, apparently, you are going to the center of an alien temple, uh, trying to find this alien egg. It seems like there's traps, which might be bad. It seems like there might be take that type stuff. Apparently when you die, you come back as a shapeless spawn, ultimate nightmare Karmagan uh, creature. Um, but realistically showing the image, this is why I wanted to highlight it. Uh, I don't know if this is a good game or not, but in the middle of the table, you have this uh, circular temple and you have these big uh, three-dimensional uh, tokens that look like when you actually rotate some of these things, your figure might get knocked into the spiky thing, uh, which I imagine would be bad. So you're moving your way into the middle. I believe all of these layers spin and I'm just so enamored with the way this looks that I wanted to talk about it here. Um, like I said, it might end up having more take that in it than I want. It might not realistically be a game that matches my tastes, but from an aesthetic perspective and a toy factor mechanics perspective, I love this spinning circular board with the big, you know, spiky things that are going to get in your way. Um, honestly, this looks like the kind of game that I would uh, actively try to play just for the toy factor of the board game uh, of the game board alone. Now, that being said, I'm not sure how published the game is. In, in the one image, it looks like they have the rule book out there, um, but there doesn't appear to be any information about when it's going to be available where or where it's going to be available. But um, the art looks good as well, so maybe I'll have a chance to give this one a shot at some point. All right, next up we have another expansion. Looks like we have quite a few on here. <laughs> uh, this one is Lost Ruins of Arnak Expedition Leaders. Um, I don't need to go into details about Lost Runes of Arnak or why I love it. I talked about it in an impressions vlog. I also um, talked about it in my best games of 2020 list where this scored very high. Um, Arnak is just a brilliant game. And this expansion seems like it adds some pretty easy to add things. Um, in general, I shy away from expansions that add big new modules that really complicate the teach of a game. But in this game, it seems like you have unique leaders. So at the start of the game, you pick one of the unique leaders and they have a uh, special unique starting deck. So that seems like it's not gonna add a lot of complication, just some asymmetry between the players. Um, also, uh, there are, uh, let's see, there's gonna be new research tracks. And I think this is really interesting because um, in the base game, you had two different maps, uh, on one on either side, uh, maps, I should say, temples. Uh, one is the bird temple and one is the snake temple. And I realistically always want to play with the snake temple. So the idea of adding more research tracks that I think you can put on there uh, is pretty interesting. That's definitely going to vary things up, and I imagine would not add too many rules. Um, and then apparently it adds some more artifact cards for combos and synergies that you just shuffle into the deck. Um, this seems like my kind of expansion, and again, I adore Arnak anyway, so I think odds are very high I'm going to try to track down a copy of this one. 
All right, let's move on to the next game, and this one is Marrakesh. Uh, now, this is being published by Queen Games and designed by Stefan Feld. And I thought I was familiar with a Marrakesh game already, but when I looked into it, I, I think I was thinking of something similar. But um, either way, the fact that this is designed by Stefan Feld is going to immediately grab my attention. I'm not the biggest Feld fan in the world, but I've enjoyed many of his games. Uh, now, down below, it doesn't have any mechanisms, but it says this is a city-building category. And it says in the game, players are going to simultaneously and secretly choose three colored cylinders from behind a screen. Then, in turn order, you are going to place a matching colored assistance based off of that. And then, this game has a cube tower where you're going to toss these cylinders in. So, I guess maybe it's a cylinder tower. <laughs> and then, based off of the tokens that fall out, you can um, grab those and do various other things. Um, at the moment, it doesn't have any images of what the game actually looks like, but I found cube towers to be, you know, off and on, sometimes interesting, sometimes not in the past. Uh, the only other cube tower game I could think of that Stefan Feld has done was Amerigo, which is a game that I enjoyed, but the cube tower frustrated me so much that I actually ended up house ruling it into a bag pulling kind of system where you put cubes in and then you randomly pull them out of the bag. Um, and I ended up actually moving that uh, copy on. I gave it to a friend who still has it, I believe. Uh, but either way, I don't think this game re-implements another game, which is interesting because it says this is in the Steffenfeld City Collection. And most of those that I know about already are re-implementations of other games. Uh, like, I believe Amsterdam is a re-implementation of Bruges, or maybe it was Macau. I'm getting confused. But um, either way, um, it looks like this might be just a new game that's also going to be going into that city collection. Uh, so I'm intrigued. I definitely want to learn more about this one. Next up, we have Murano Light Masters. Uh, now, Murano is a, or was, a Euro game that came out many years ago, and this apparently has no connection to it. It is not an expansion. Uh, this one is being published by Matigo, and there's not a lot of information on it right now. Um, it says um, at the beginning of the 13th century, Murano was all about glassmaking. Uh, the island became quite famous, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, in this game, it says you have selector and ring gameplay that is original and accessible, which does not mean anything to me. <laughs> uh, it says you have real glass pieces that sound uh, that bring sound and beauty to the table. That, that seems nice. And then it says you compete with others and yourself to become a grandmaster. So there's really not much information out here, but in the mechanism spot, it says there's contracts, income, market, uh, matching, and resource to move. And they do have the box cover, which is really beautiful. I mean, it's got um, an artistic uh, glass box on the front, um, and you have some other tokens as well. Um, and I'm intrigued by this game. I mean, I'm definitely not super excited about it, but I would like to learn more. It says it plays two to four players in about 30 minutes. So it's very likely, honestly, that when more information comes out about this game, that I'll realize it isn't actually something I want to hunt down. But for the moment, I'm cautiously optimistic and I'd like to learn more. I definitely like beautiful components in games and it seems like they're leaning into that um, to um, a pretty medium to uh, heavy extent here. All right, next up we have Mythic Mischief. Uh, now, I first learned about this game actually when the publisher, Ivy Games, reached out to me about making a sponsored tutorial video. Uh, I made a video for a previous game of theirs, which is escaping me. Oh, what was that game called? Veiled Fate. That's right. That's what it was. Okay, there we go. Uh, either way, uh, I am going to be making a sponsored tutorial for Mythic Mischief. And in this game, uh, it says that you're going to play as a faction of the, the Mythic Middle students that are competing to get as many 
of the other students caught by the tome keeper as you can while not getting caught yourself. So it seems like from a uh, mechanical perspective, uh, down below it says there are action points, grid movement, and variable player powers. And they do have a couple of photos. They're not super intricate as far as figuring out how the game plays, but it seems like you are students running around uh, trying to stay away from the tome keeper. Um, I don't imagine anyone controls the Tome Keeper, or maybe everyone controls the Tome Keeper, but you're trying to, I guess, stay away and do various other mystic uh, or mythic mischief type things. Uh, and I'm looking forward to learning more about it. Like I said, I'm going to be doing a sponsored tutorial for it, so I'm going to learn a lot more about it before I actually end up making that video. All right, next up we have Oak. Uh, now, this game uh, mostly jumped out to me because of the publisher. It's being published by Game Brewer, and they make a lot of great Euros. Uh, I have definitely enjoyed um, things that they've done in the past. Uh, in particular, uh, Gugong is one that I really liked. Um, and uh, yeah, so looking at this one here, um, it says that in the center of a vast but secret forest stands the Arch Oak, a majestic tree that was already a sapling when the world was still young. Uh, so thematically, um, players are in control of druidic orders, and you are the leader of these orders, and you, it looks like, start small and insignificant, but as you go on, you're going to gain power, and you're trying to, I guess, um, prove that you're the best archdruid and have the uh, oak uh, bestow its secrets on top of you. But from a Eurowee perspective, it says this game has hand management, set collection, worker placement, and it says worker placement with different types. So I guess different types of workers. Uh, now beyond that, there's, there's really no other information. There's no images of the box cover or what the game looks like, but I'm intrigued. I like Euro games. I like worker placement games, and I like um, the games that Game Brewer puts out. So um, I'm looking forward to learning more about this one for sure. Next up, we have Freya. Uh, now this one is, let's see here. It's a two to four player game, uh, 90 to 120 minutes, and it is a Euro style game. Um, that's right. So down below here in the description, it says it's a commodity speculation pick up and deliver game where players will trade from stall to stall trying to get the best prices uh, in a floating market. And you make offerings to the temple to win uh, Buddha's favor. And you can even approach the king's barge trying to get the best score when the game is over. Um, I like a lot of these things. Pick up and deliver is a mechani uh, mechanism that I don't see all that often and I have enjoyed in the past. Uh, commodity speculation is something that I like to a certain extent as well. Um, so mostly I'm following this one because I'm curious to learn more about it. Um, they do have an image of the box art. It looks like uh, Menzel is uh, the artist who is uh, doing the game. Um, the box cover looks really nice. It looks very Euro-y for sure. Um, and I still really like Euro games even though I obviously like many other games. I'm very infatuated with trains and stocks and all that, but I still also like Euros, especially 90 to 120 minute ones. Um, 120 minutes, like if every single game of this goes two hours or more, then that's starting to shift out of my wheelhouse. I, I prefer 90 minutes as a better uh, uh, time for my Euros, but either way, I'm looking forward to learning more about this. I know I say that a lot in these games radar vlogs, but you know, when I learned about these games, there's oftentimes not actually that much information about them, but this one has enough to have me curious. All right, moving on, we have So Clover. Uh, now, this one actually has a ton of information. Uh, I first learned about it because Eric Martin made an overview video, it's 13 minutes long, describing how the game plays, and I thought it sounded really fun. So this is a party game, but um, it's kind of in the same lines as something like Code Names or uh, Just One. Uh, actually, more like Just One because this is a cooperative style game. Now, mechanically, the way it works, if I remember correctly from uh, the video that I watched, 
one player uh, within each round is going to randomly get four of these little cards with a hole in it. They're going to shuffle them up and slot them into this board, and then they are going to write with a dry erase marker um, a clue that essentially matches the two different aspects to each of these cards. You have a little two-by-two two grid going. So you have four cards with four pairings of these cards, and then you're going to put four different clues down, and then you remove these cards, and then put it in the middle of the table, and everyone has to figure out if they can actually slot these in to match up with all of these clues. So it's a little communal puzzle where one person builds the puzzle, and then everybody else actually tries to figure it out, discussing the different combinations, and I imagine once you find, like, a really good lock for something, then you will be able to, you know, that, that'll help define some of the other things. You could probably work off of it. Um, now, I like the idea of this game quite a bit. Uh, it seems like it might be a little easy. I'm not really sure. I haven't actually played it, but it seems like there's probably usually going to be only one solution. Oh, but I do think you actually draw an extra card and throw it into the mix. So I think there's five cards to choose from uh, that you actually have to slot into the four. So it definitely feels more like a just one type game activity, but we've played a ton of just one, especially over the pandemic, and I feel like this could be a fun game that you could uh, uh, weave in uh, when playing some maybe heavier other stuff, or this could certainly be the kind of game to bust out in a more social hangout type gathering situation where, um, like Wavelength, actually, that's another game that this kind of reminds me of. That one is team versus team, but we've definitely played Wavelength in uh, less... Uh, game night atmospheres and more just kind of hang out and have fun with your friends kind of atmospheres. And it seems like this might be one of those games as well. So, um, so clever is a game that I'm quite interested in acquiring a copy of. All right, next up we have Super Mega Lucky Box. Uh, now this game uh, mostly uh, jumped out to me because the designer is Phil Walker-Harding. Uh, he's designed lots of games that are good. Um, a couple games that I think are great. Uh, one that jumps out to me is Baron Park and I'm brain farting on the others. He's designed so many games, but Baron Park is great, and uh, that alone is honestly enough for me to be quite interested. Uh, now, this is a pretty simple game, and there's a lot of information on uh, uh, BGG. There's three videos up. Uh, I watched the Dice Tower review of it already just so that Tom Vassell could teach me how the game plays so that I could talk about it here. Uh, and mechanically, uh, what you are doing in this game is you are going to have multiple little cards in front of you that have uh, nine different numbers on them. And then within each of the game's rounds, you shuffle up these number cards and then you reveal them simultaneously. And then each player is going to cross out a matching number on their little cards. And every time you complete a uh, row or a column, you will get the benefit of an icon that shows up next to it, which maybe is a question mark that lets you cross something else off, which lets you gain another benefit. You also can get uh, various little tokens that let you modify the number up or down, and little moon tokens that give you bonus points at the end of the game if you have the most of them. It seems like it's a very simple game, but it also seems super accessible and something that could be really easy to play, especially at like um, uh, a board game uh, cafe type uh, atmosphere, or also just like, um, you know, hanging out with the family and playing games with people who don't often play games with a lot of rules, because I think I've essentially just taught you the rules to this game already. Uh, it says it's one to six players in about 20 minutes, uh, and I don't, I don't think I'm going to run out and try to get a copy of this one, but it is certainly a game that I would try at some point, and it's possible that after trying it, I might realize that um, it could really fill uh, a slot in our collection for this kind of game. So maybe I'll try to get a copy of this one at some point, but at this point, I'm kind of uh, medium on it. 
All right, next up, uh, we have Supply Lines of the American Revolution, the Northern Theater. Uh, now, uh, spoiler alert, the next uh, one is uh, Supply Lines of the American Revolution, the Southern Strategy. Uh, these are two games that use the same uh, type of war game framework, but then they have some other stuff going on. And I'm not going to go into the specifics of it, but I will say that uh, the Northern Theater game was recommended to me by uh, somebody I am friends with on Twitter uh, as a war game that also has Euro-y type stuff going on. And I've been curious to try a war game. I've never really played a real war game before. And so um, this one being recommended, um, I was instantly interested in it. And in fact, after looking into the Northern Theater, which came out in 2017, and the Southern Strategy, which came out in 2018, I decided to buy a copy of the Southern Strategy. Uh, I've actually played one game of it. We didn't get all the way through, but it was me and a friend just trying to figure out the rules to it. Neither of us are experienced with war games, but it was quite interesting overall uh, figuring out how all this works. Uh, and I am definitely going to be playing this one again, and hopefully I'll be talking about it on the Good Games vlog. I, I want to play a real full game of it before I can really make any judging decisions. But um, this is realistically me just dipping my toe into the war game waters to see what I think. Um, for a long time, I assumed I wouldn't like it, but also for a long time, I thought I would hate most train games and stocks and auctions, and now I love those. So I'm trying to broaden my horizons, maybe take off my blinders a bit and try some other pools of gaming to see uh, what it actually does for me. And so far, I am intrigued by the sort of one game that I played of the Southern Strategy so far. All right, next up we have The Light in the Mist. Uh, now this is listed as a 2022 game, so Obviously, not going to be coming out anytime soon. Uh, and in fact, um, this one, I believe, is going to be going on to Kickstarter at some point soon. Uh, now, the publisher of this game also put out a game called The Emerald Flame, and that was on Kickstarter, and I don't think it has fulfilled. But both of these games are essentially multiplayer puzzles, to the best of my understanding. Uh, now, it says on BGG that it's a one-to-four-player game that plays in 300 to 500 minutes. And I believe the reason it says that is because the idea is, like, it takes a long time, many hours to actually make your way entirely through this game. I think it has a narrative arc that you are working your way through and then just a bunch of puzzly-type things to do. And I think the idea is you just play through the overall game in multiple set, uh, sessions. Uh, the publisher has already said they're going to send me a copy of The Emerald Flame once it becomes uh, available, and I'm quite interested in trying that one out, especially I think uh, my wife Jessica could really dig this one. I'm looking forward to trying this one out with her because she loves puzzles and puzzle hunts and that kind of stuff. She likes that stuff uh, even more than I do, and this appears to be a similar thing, but just somewhat different, and um, definitely if I end up enjoying the Emerald Flame, then I will be trying to <laughs> get a copy of this one. We'll see how it goes. I definitely think it's an interesting uh, niche for board gaming, uh, these communal, fully cooperative puzzling experiences, uh, and the artistic aesthetic of this game uh, from what I see in the uh, the cover, as well as from what I've seen from the Emerald Flame, which is the game that came before, is just stunning. I, I think these games look really nice, and I'm looking forward to learning more, and especially uh, trying out the uh, pre to this one, The Emerald Flame, once that one arrives. All right, the next game is The Queen's Dilemma, and <laughs> the reason it's on the list is because it's the sequel to The King's Dilemma, which was a fascinating uh, campaign-style experience that we played a full campaign of on Tabletop Simulator over the course of 2020. Uh, we played a full five-player game of that, and I, I talked about it in an impressions vlog um, at some point mid to late last year, and uh, overall, we really enjoyed that game. Uh, it's all about um, influencing each other in these really pivotal uh, votes. Um, and there is an arc, a story arc that happens throughout the game. Uh, but 
a lot of it is abstracted in The King's Dilemma. There's a map, but you just kind of use it for a little bit of theme for the most part. And it looks like in The Queen's Dilemma, this is a sequel, and it has a lot of the uh, interactive narrative legacy type stuff that The King's Dilemma had. But on top of that, apparently in this game, uh, the gameplay is focused on a big map of the kingdom, and players are going to take control of regions and manage them. And that is not something that was in The King's Dilemma at all. So you have these political voting things. You're going to be I guess, using influence in various different ways. And then the fact that players actually occupy areas is fascinating because I know through the various twists and turns of the first campaign, lots of very consequential things happened to certain particular land areas. I'm trying not to spoil things. And so the idea of that happening when uh, to your area when you actually care about it more and like your stuff is there and you're managing that area, uh, that sounds just fascinating. Um, so it says uh, in this game, there's more than just the resource uh, tracks. There's these resource tracks that you're managing in the first one. And I'm fascinated by this. Um, I think I would definitely like to give this one a try. Uh, maybe even uh, I could put together a campaign of this one with most or all the same people I played uh, the campaign for The King's Dilemma because uh, that was a good time. And I imagine also there were some weak parts to King's Dilemma that, um, you know, it wasn't all great. And I figure making a expansive, um, pretty innovative game like The King's Dilemma is going to have you learning lots of things. And so coming into The Queen's Dilemma, Hopefully, hypothetically, it'll be even more streamlined, or maybe not streamlined, but uh, maybe some of the wrinkles and uh, uh, rough spots could be kind of ironed out to have an even better experience overall. So I'm very excited about The Queen's Dilemma. Next up, we have Tiles of the Arabian Nights. Uh, this one is being published by Holy Grail Games, and this one seems really fascinating. Um, there's a game called Tales of the Arabian Nights, which we used to play quite a bit, like 10, 12 years ago in our gaming group. Um, it was a very strange game. Like, we played it for the narrative elements to it. Technically, you can win and get points, but we just played it for fun. <laughs> and this one is also set in that kind of universe. I don't think they're necessarily connected from a publisher-to-publisher -publisher perspective or anything like that, but uh, apparently in this game, uh, you have tiles in the middle of the table on a board, and they do have an image of what the board looks like, and as you are playing through the game, you are going to be picking up these tiles, or I think maybe placing tiles onto this map in a variety of different ways, and apparently these tiles have different icons and whatnot on them, and there is like a game portion to this, but at the very end, once you've collected these tiles, apparently there's a storytelling ele telling element as well, as you weave together the story of what happened to you in this game where you are collecting tiles and wandering around. Uh, now, I'm not normally crazy about uh, storytelling in games. Uh, I'm not the most creative person, <laughs> if I'm being honest, uh, but uh, this one does look interesting enough for me to kind of keep my eye on. If it ends up being the kind of thing where you have to do a lot of improvisation to come up with a story, then this might be the kind of game that I will actually pass on, but maybe recommend to some of my friends who enjoy role-playing and storytelling and that kind of thing more. But for now, I'm kind of interested in it. I think uh, aesthetically, it looks nice, and uh, uh, from a mechanical perspective, it looks pretty interesting. It says it's a pick-up-and-deliver storytelling game, and I can't think of any other game that comes close to mixing those two things together. So from uh, the, a mechanics geek perspective like I am, I'm very intrigued to see how all those things are going to work together. All right, let's now move on to the next game, which is Timeland, a Tuluva adventure. Uh, now I'm going to go right out at the beginning and say, 
I am not at all sure if this game is going to be good, but it says Tuluva, and for a while there, Tuluva was my favorite game. I played it well over 30 times. In fact, uh, for a bit of John Gets Games history, the very first video I ever made was a review of Tuluva, and the reason for that is because at the time, which was 2014, um, I... Still love Tuluva. I don't think it was my favorite game at that point, but it was still really high up there. And when I went to make my very first review of a game, I decided to review a game that I felt I knew front, back, and center. Like, I played the game so many times, and I'm, I think, pretty darn good at Tuluva, and that's why I made the video for it. So there's a soft spot in my heart for Tuluva, and so when this popped up, I, I had to learn more about it. Now, right off the bat, this is not the same designer as Tuluva, but it does say that it re-implements Tuluva, and down below in the description, it says, Welcome to Timeland, a standalone adventure in the land of Tuluva. It says, Your group of explorers are searching for knowledge and lost treasures within Tuluva, the, uh, Tuluva Island. Hurry and gather all you can before the volcano erupts one last time. It uses the same gameplay mechanics as the original game. And I have to admit, I am a little incredulous because they do have an image of what the game looks like. It's a very tiny image. It's hard to actually uh, see what's going on. But from what I can tell, this looks nothing like Tuluva. Uh, in Tuluva, you had these tiles that were three hexagons kind of smashed together, and you would lay them out, either expanding the island out, or you would stack them on top of other spots, re-erupting volcanoes, and then you put your little uh, uh, huts down and various towers, and you try to uh, kill other people's huts and squash them. And uh, that game was so much fun. But in this game, it looks like there's a communal spot with a bunch of tiles flipped over, kind of making a pyramid. And... There was no treasure in the original game, and honestly, it doesn't look like there's hexagons at all, and it says one volcano is going to erupt, whereas in the original Tuluva, there are tons of volcanoes. Every single tile has a volcano on it. So I'm mentioning it here because I'm curious to learn more because I have this nostalgic love for Tuluva, but I am not at all convinced it's going to turn into anything like it. And it seems weird to say that this uses the same gameplay mechanics when from the image that I see... It bears no resemblance at all. So anyway, we'll just have to see about this one. All right, next up we have Tulipin Fieber. Uh, and the reason I'm talking about this one is because the designer is Uwe Rosenberg and the publisher is Amigo. Uh, Amigo uh, publishes a lot of games, but in particular, the ones that jump out to me are, they, they do a lot of small card games. And this says it's a one to four player game that takes 30 minutes to play. And <laughs> the only information it has on BGG is it says this is a dice game about tulip mania. Uh, now, I don't know much about tulip mania, but I believe it's something that happened in Scandinavia at some point, a couple hundred years ago, maybe, where there was a, a crazy bubble where people um, were growing tulips and then people were kind of overvaluing them until suddenly nobody actually cared about tulips anymore and it, the bubble burst. I think kind of like, you know, Beanie Babies or, you know, Tickle Me Elmo or that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, I am really curious about this one, mostly because the designer is Uwe Rosenberg. Um, he's mostly famous for designing uh, medium to heavyweight big euros, and some of my favorite games are uh, designed by him. But I also like some of his lighter games. Uh, Bonanza is a game that um, he designed like 20 plus years ago that it doesn't take 30 minutes. That's more of a 60-minute game, but that is a card game um, that's not a big, expensive, super heavy Euro. Uh, I also like dice games, so I'm quite curious to learn more about this one. Um, I think Uwe Rosenberg definitely knows what he is doing. Um, not that every one of his games is a hit, but I'm certainly quite intrigued. Uh, this is one that I would probably just pick up a copy of uh, while ordering other things online, because I imagine for a 30-minute game, for a little dice game, it's probably not going to be very expensive, but that's just me making some guesses here. 
All right, the second to last game I'm talking about today is Unfathomable. Uh, now, this one uh, is pretty well known. Uh, and this one uh, hit social media in a pretty big way. It's being published by Fantasy Flight Games, and it is a re-implementation and re-theme of Battlestar Galactica, the board game. Uh, now, BSG was played non-stop in our board gaming group when I first kind of fell into modern board gaming. Um, there was essentially no night where BSG was not actually played. In fact, uh, the reason for that is because one of my best friends who I met through that board gaming group um, just absolutely loved this game. He's probably played it well over 100 times. He developed a whole bunch of custom characters that we would play with. Um, we just had a, a lot of fun with it. Uh, now, I will say that BSG is not really a me kind of game. In fact, you might be kind of surprised to hear that I have nostalgic, uh, favorable things to say about it because it's a hidden trader kind of style game, but it also has a whole bunch of other quite complicated stuff going on. Now, the thing is, since this game was played so often in our gaming group, we could actually finish a game of it in about 90 minutes. And BSG was kind of famous for taking like three to four hours, which is way longer than it should be. Uh, so for us, um, we were able to get these games played very quickly because we were so familiar with it. And, you know, it kind of developed a, a, a meta of its own within our gaming group. And so I've probably played it I would guess 15-ish times. And so learning that there is a new version of it coming out with a new theme has me intrigued. I know that my friend who was <laughs> who loved that game and played it so much uh, instantly pre-ordered it. So I know I will have access to this one. And honestly, I'm really looking forward to trying this out with him and uh, some other people that we used to play uh, BSG with, you know, way back when, and maybe some other people who are new to it because I just have so many fond memories of those times. And even though it's a hidden trader game, I think... I'll still be okay. Like a big part of why I was okay with the hidden trader aspect of BSG is that the, the kind of tradery things you do are often about like putting bad cards into different piles. And it, it's less about big arguments and it's more about just trying to be sneaky in general. Um, there definitely could be arguments and whatnot, but either way, I'm quite curious about this one. And from what I understand, there's a whole bunch of threads about it on BGG. It seems like there probably will be some subtle changes to how um, the original worked. Uh, and considering the original came out more than 10 years ago, uh, I like the idea of trying a BSG that's been, you know, uh, maybe fine-tuned a little bit. So maybe some of the rough areas, again, have been maybe smoothed out a little bit. Maybe that won't have happened, and maybe they will have made some new rough areas. I don't know. But one thing I do know is I will have an opportunity to play this when uh, the pre-order that my friend uh, got does arrive. All right, the final game I'm talking about today is a cute little game called Villa. Uh, now, I almost didn't put this one on the list, but when I was cruising through the new things that were submitted to BGG, I just couldn't help but stop uh, and, and want to learn a little bit more about this one, uh, mostly based off of the one photo they have of what the game looks like in progress. Uh, this is a two-player only card game uh, where you put these cards down with six different spots on them and you are essentially competing with that one other player, um, putting little meeples down. I guess you have to find your own meeples because I didn't mention it, but this game is available as a print and play. Um, and it looks like you are kind of overlaying these cards on top of each other, making different landmass areas. Uh, one thing I know is that on the back of every single card, there is an end game scoring condition. And um, the way this works is at the start of the game, you deal out 11 of these cards to each player, or I guess maybe it was 10. Either way, a bunch of cards, and then you choose one of them to be your end game condition, and then you put it kind of off to the side, and it's a hidden thing that you're going to be vying for and trying to push towards every game, and then you use the other side of the cards to actually build this area out. So with every one of these having a different um, thing that you are pushing for, that seems like a decent amount of variety. Uh, now, I actually looked a little bit more on BGG, and the reason I know so much about it is because they have a print-and-play package 
that you can download right now and print this game up and play it. I, I downloaded it and I, I looked over the rules just to learn a little bit more about it. And this game seems cute. It says it's a two-player two game that plays in about 20 minutes. I have no idea if it's actually any good. Um, I appear to be the only person subscribed to it on BGG right now. I don't know. Sometimes things just kind of jump out to me and, and make me want to learn a little bit more. And something about this game uh, made me want to highlight it and mention, you know, if, if this looks interesting to you, then you can give it a try. <laughs> you just need to print out a few pieces of paper, uh, pages of uh, the art and then just sleeve it up, I imagine, would be the best way to do it. Uh, so either way, that is going to bring us to a close. That was 25 new games and expansions of interest that I've learned about over the last couple of months. Um, I'll probably do another one of these in another month or two. Um, these were uh, taken from about 1,400 submissions that I saw on uh, uh, BGG that happened over the last couple of months. Uh, and I realistically try just to highlight the ones that I think are interesting for one reason or another, whether it's because I'm breathlessly excited about it and I've already ordered a copy, or if it's because I'm incredulous if it'll actually be good, but I want to learn more. But uh, either way, that is going to bring this one to a close.